turn to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. And we move into chapter 4 tonight in our study in the book of Galatians. And I'll not plan to keep you very long tonight, um, but there are some wonderful truth here uh, that can rejoice the soul and that we can dig into and praise and worship God for the salvation we have in Him. Our text verses are going to be verses 1 through 7. And into chapter 4, Paul is really continuing his thought from chapter 3, and specifically verse 29 of chapter 3, where Paul said, And if ye be Christ's, so if you're saved and you're in Christ and you've put on Christ and you have an, a change of garment, you have the robe of righteousness, and you're in Christ, he says, if, you're, if you be in Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And so you're spiritual benefactors, and if you are by faith, in, uh, you've put your faith and trust in Christ, you've repented of your sin, you're a born-again person, you are a spiritual heir of all the promises that God gave to Abraham because you belong to Jesus Christ. And, and so he has been explaining the difference between law and grace. And again, to remind you, why was this necessary? Because there were those who were the Judaizers who had followed the ministry of Paul. He was preaching in the churches of Galatia. He had left. He didn't get to stay there very long. And he had left, and then these Judaizers come along behind, and they start preaching a different gospel. That's not a gospel at all. And they're, they're teaching and leading these Galatian believers into a legalistic mindset or a legalistic way. That, yes, you need to believe on Jesus Christ. We'll concede that. But the law came after, and so there's this an additional requirement for salvation. So not only do you have to believe but you also have to be circumcised particularly and keep the law of Moses. And so Paul goes on to, um, in chapter 3, to really lay out doctrinally that salvation is by grace through faith alone, that the law is totally inferior. The Mosaic law is completely inferior compared to the covenant promise given to Abraham. And the idea, again, is that the law could never give you spiritual life or it could never give you a right standing with God. Salvation is only by grace through faith in Christ. And he did say that the law had a function because they asked the question, what was the law given for then? Does God contradict himself? Is this anti-God? He, does he not know what he's saying or doing? And Paul says, no, the law had a function. It was temporary until the coming of Jesus Christ. And now that Christ has come and He's fulfilled all the law, the law needs to be set aside. And now we move into chapter 4. So let's look at our text verses in chapter 4. He says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, 
that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. I'm going to preach on this thought, slaves to sons, tonight. One of the memories that I have from my childhood or from my youth up into my teen years, etc., and a lot of memories from your childhood fade as you age and so on, but I do still have some memories of my childhood. One of those memories that I remember very well was the great anticipation that I had uh, in, in coming to the point when I could get my driver's license. I remember uh, thinking this, and the reason I wanted my driver's license, because getting my license and having the use of a car meant freedom for me. And I wanted freedom. That's the kind of young man that I was. And I can remember this very plainly. I would remember that I would always have to ride my bicycle to the basketball court when I was 14 or 15 years old, and I would play basketball with the older guys, some older teenagers, some, you know, in their early 20s and so on, and I really enjoyed playing basketball with them and their acceptance of me because I could keep up with them and I could play. And so it was always a fun time for me to go to the basketball court and play basketball with the older guys. But I was always somewhat embarrassed when the games were over. And here was the reason why. Because all of these older guys that I played basketball with, they would get in their cars and they would drive their cars off into the sunset someplace. And I had to walk over to my bicycle and get back on my bike and ride it home. And I hated that. And I remember thinking to myself, someday I'm going to have that great freedom because that's what I wanted. Well, the day finally came for me to get my driver's license, and it was the day after I turned 16. I had the appointment set up and everything because 16 was the legal limit, and the day came for me to get my driver's license. And when I did, a whole new world opened up to me. It was almost like coming of age, almost like becoming a man, because I have my driver's license. And when that happened, I mean, at least, at least for me, when that happened for me, that bicycle that I would ride to the basketball court became something that wasn't really important anymore. You follow me? The driver's license marked a new age in life. And so it's hard, it, it's hard for me to imagine after getting your driver's license that that anybody, at least back in my time, it was different back then and than it is maybe today, but it was hard for me to imagine that anybody, after they got their driver's license, would have thrown the driver's license away and wanted to go back to riding their bicycle. Well, I use that illustration because that is the equivalent, or at least similar, to what people do spiritually when they choose to live under the law 
in a legalistic way. Legalism leads people back into a second childhood, not maturity. And that is what the Galatians were doing, in essence, when Paul wrote to them. It's the reason that he called them foolish in chapter 3. He says, are you so foolish that you've begun in the Spirit? Uh, or, or he says, and who's bewitched you, O foolish Galatians, that you, that you would depart from, from something that is so much better to something of inferior nature. Having believed in Jesus Christ, they had obtained great privilege. They had obtained great blessings in the Lord. A whole new world was opened up to them. And in chapter 3, Paul describes believers as sons of God. They have the, all of the rights and all of the privileges of a son in God's family. But many times people don't understand that. And rather than live in the freedom that faith in Jesus Christ gives them, they turn back to a, a beggarly way or an inferior way to try to find the blessings of God. The law doesn't give the blessings of God. The law doesn't give life and liberty. Just the opposite. It doesn't open life for you at all. It actually restricts it. And to show that, Paul describes the function of the law in several ways in chapter 3. And Paul talks about how the law shuts people up, uh, and, 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 and honestly, to, to their sin, so that, so that they would see their failure, so that they would despair of their own efforts, and they would look to the liberator, who is Christ, who could free them from their prison. Paul said the law was a tutor like a tutor in a Roman household. And you remember, we talked about this. They, those were often slaves. Those were the ones who were appointed to, by the father to look after the child of the house, to manage his life, and to do that until the child became a young man or, be, or came of age. And when that happened... When the child became a young man or he came of age at the father's bidding, when that happened, the slave's control over him was to cease. The boy legally became a man. He was free from the rules and the restrictions that had governed his life under the slave guardian model. And Paul explained all of that in chapter 3 in order to show the Galatians that by putting themselves under the law, they were not moving forward spiritually, just the opposite. They were moving backwards. And by returning to the law, they were returning not only to a second childhood, as it were, which is not really a childhood, they were actually returning into slavery. You know, we can act like children when we're adults. We can act like children but we can never really be children again. The age of the law was the age of childhood for God's people. That age had passed. It had served its purpose. It was over. The Christian cannot go back. And Paul proved that in chapter 3, but he's not finished. In chapter 4, he elaborates further on this 
by contrasting life under the law with life in Jesus Christ. It is the difference between being a slave and being free. You don't need legalism, Paul says. You already have all that you need in Jesus Christ. And Paul's going to use a few different approaches in chapter 4 to help illustrate this. But the first thing that Paul does in verses 1 through 7 is he explains our adoption. That's number one. He explains our adoption. Let's read these verses again. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Excuse me. So Paul explains their adoption. Among the blessings of the Christian experience is what we find here in verse 5, adoption. Ephesians chapter 1 in verse 5 says, "...having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved." Now, when we think of the word adoption, we cannot think of it in terms of our own society and how adoption works in our society. We don't enter into God's family by adoption in the same way that a parentless child in our society would enter into a loving family. The only way to get into God's family is by regeneration or being born again. And that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. That spiritual birth that we experience is only through faith in Jesus Christ and His blood. The word adoption in the New Testament means this. It means to place as an adult son. Now, it's important to understand. It has to do with our standing in the family of God. We are not little children who cannot take full advantage of their inheritance, but we're adult sons with all the rights and all the privileges of sonship. And it's true that we are the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ, that we're born into God's family, but we do not grow into our inheritance in Jesus Christ. Every child of God is automatically placed into the family of God as a son, an adult son, and as a son, we have all the legal rights and privileges of a grown son. Now, that's going to make sense in a minute. Now, when a sinner comes to know Jesus Christ, they put their faith in Christ, they're saved. As far as his condition is concerned, He's a spiritual baby in Christ who needs to grow. 1 Peter 2.2, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. That's his condition. 
But as far as his position is concerned, he's an adult son who can draw on his father's wealth right now, who can exercise all the wonderful privileges of sonship right now. We enter into God's family by regeneration, but we enjoy God's family by adoption to place as an adult son. The Christian does not have to wait to begin to enjoy the spiritual riches that he has in Jesus Christ. Now, here's where we get into Paul's discussion about adoption. And as he discusses this and writes this to the churches of Galatia, he's going to remind them of a few things. The first thing that he reminds them of is what they were. What were they? They were children in bondage. Look back at verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. So he reminds them what they were, children in bondage. In verses 1 and 2, Paul makes, uh, is drawing on another Roman household illustration here. Okay, So he's using a cultural uh, way of thinking and to try to draw these illustrations out to, to verify or prove a point. And he says in verse 1 that there might be a child who is heir to his father. He's the heir apparent. His father is the richest man in the city, and he's got a son, and that son is heir to the father. But he says, as long as he's a child, he differs nothing from a servant, even though he's Lord of all. And he says, here's why. He's under tutors, and he's under governors until the time appointed of the father. So in other words, no matter how wealthy a father might have been, his infant or young son could not fully enjoy the father's wealth. In the Roman world, the children of wealthy people were cared for by slaves. Those slaves were appointed by the father. They were sometimes tutors. They were sometimes governors. You notice that in verse 2. The tutors would have been those who controlled the child's time, those who dealt with the child's education and so on, even dealt with some discipline in their life. The governors would have been those who controlled the assets or the property of the heir, of the child. And so when he's a child, he's under tutors. There are those who control his time. There are those who control his education. There are those who tell him what to do and where to go. He's not free to do as he pleases. There are governors. There are those who control the money. He can't just go take the father's money and blow it and do whatever he wants to do with it. Not as a child. No matter who his father was, the child was still a child and under the supervision of a servant, and he was not free to make those choices and to do as he pleased. In fact, Paul says the child himself wasn't much different than the servant who guarded him, though he was heir of all. This went on, and this was the child's life, until the time appointed by the father. 
Now, in that culture, many times and typically, the father would set a date or set an age for the child and when he would come of age. And typically, history tells us that would have been about 14 or 15 years old when he would no longer need to be under tutors anymore. Those who controlled his time, those who controlled his education. But usually, it wasn't until they were like 22 or 25 years old where they would be given full access or full control to the assets and to his inheritance to do with as he pleased. Now, you you follow that? That was the spiritual condition of the Jews under the age of the law. The law, you recall, was the guardian that disciplined the nation and prepared them for the coming of Christ. In chapter 3 and verse 23, But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up to, unto the faith which should afterward be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster. And remember, the schoolmaster was not the school teacher. The schoolmaster were those who brought them. They were the tutors. They were the ones who were the child guardians. The law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that, faith is come. We are no longer under a schoolmaster, for you're all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And so the law to the nation of Israel was the guardian that disciplined the nation, that prepared them for the coming of Christ. Now, let's bring it back to Paul's present day. So when the Judaizers came along and they led the Galatians back into a legalist way of keeping the law to earn favor with God, they were leading them not only into religious bondage, but they were also leading them into moral and spiritual infancy and immaturity. Not growing in Christ. Now, I want you to look at verse 3. In verse 3, Paul says, even so we. So he uses the illustration in verses 1 and 2, and he says it's the same way for us. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Now, what does that mean? In bondage under the elements of the world. Well, Paul states here that the Jews were like little children in bondage under these elements of the world. That phrase was an expression that means to put things or to place things side by side in a row, like boom, 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 boom. And it was a word that was used of soldiers filing in rank. It was a word that was used of the letters of the alphabet in a row, like the ABCs, A, B, C, D, and so on. And it became, it really became a phrase that was known for the learning of your ABCs. Now, the learning of the alphabet is the first lesson in a literary education. And so the expression came to mean the rudiments, the the first principles, the basics of things. And that's what the law was. It was the elemental things. It was the basic of things. That's what the the, uh, Mosaic law was. 
before Christ. And so for some 15 centuries, Israel had been in kindergarten or grade school under the law, learning their spiritual ABCs. Those spiritual ABCs should have prepared them for the time when the Father says, you're coming of age. Jesus Christ is here. You get the full revelation. You can understand it because you've learned your ABCs. Now, they should have been ready for when Christ would come. The Old Testament's prophets spoke of of the promised one, the Messiah. All of those things were easily identified and and fulfilled in Jesus Christ if they were looking. And when Jesus Christ would come, then they should have had the full revelation because Jesus Christ is the Alpha and the Omega. Amen? The beginning and the end, according to Revelation 22. He encompasses all the alphabet of God's revelation to mankind. Now, legalism, or the keeping of the law then, is not a step towards maturity. It's reverting back to childhood, the basic things. The law of Moses was not God's final revelation. It was simply the preparation for the final revelation in Christ. And Paul is showing them that it's important for a person to know his ABCs, certainly, because the ABCs are the foundation for understanding all the language. But once you know your ABCs and once you learn how to read, it's time to grow up. It's time to move on. And the man who should know how to read and should read really well but goes to the library and he sits in the library simply reciting his ABCs instead of reading the great works of literature all around him, what is he doing? He's showing himself to be ignorant and immature, not mature and not wise. You have this ability, you have this opportunity to read the great works of literature around you and you're reciting your ABCs. And under the law... The Jews were children in bondage, not sons enjoying liberty in Christ. So for them, for these Galatians to come out of sin and into Christ, to leave those elemental principles that they had been under, and then to put themselves under the law of Moses was to go back to those elementary principles and go back into slavery. It was like a young man who had been freed from his guardians and from his managers in his life and from his tutors and from his governors, to be free from all of those who managed his life before. And then after enjoying that great moment of freedom with all its responsibilities and all of its privileges as a full son and heir of his father, then to give it all up and to go back under the control of these men who controlled his life was silly. Who would ever do that? That's the illustration that Paul's trying to give here. (coughs) Excuse me. So Paul shows what they were. They were children in bondage under the law. But secondly, in verses 4 and 5, Paul shows them what God did. Look at verse 4. But when the fullness of time was come... God sent forth His Son, 
made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. What did God do, according to what Paul says here in these verses? God sent forth His Son to redeem them who were under the law. Now, notice some phrases in these verses. Verse 4 says, But when the fullness of time was come. That phrase refers to that time when the world was providentially ready for the birth of the Savior. Historians tell us that the Roman world was in great expectation, waiting for a deliverer at the time when Jesus was born. From a spiritual, quote, spiritual side of things, the old religions of the Roman world were dying out. The old philosophies were empty and powerless. Now, the myths and the gods had lost their hold on the people, and there were strange and new mystery religions that were invading the Roman Empire. Religious bankruptcy and spiritual hunger hunger was everywhere, and God was preparing the world for the arrival of His Son. From an historical point of view, the Roman Empire itself helped prepare the world for the birth of Jesus Christ. Uh, Roman roads were a big deal. Roman roads connected all of the cities together, and all of the cities ultimately were connected to Rome. And so travel was something that was common. Travel was easy to do. Uh, uh, Not only goods and services could be traded, but, but information could be passed at a much a better rate and so on. Like the world was, was, was shrunk down in many ways because of a Roman road system. Those roads connected cities and all the cities were connected to Rome. Roman law protected the rights of Roman citizens and the Roman soldier guarded their peace. Thanks to both Greek and Roman conquests, Language was something that was common as well. Both Latin and Greek were known across the empire. The Word of God uh, written in in Greek, Koine Greek, which means common Greek. It was the, the language that was common to men. It was the language of trade. It was known across the Roman Empire. Christ's birth in Bethlehem at that particular time was not an accident It was an appointed time. Jesus Christ came at the fullness of time. A time appointed by the Father. By the way, just as a side note, it's worth noting, just as He came at an appointed time, in the fullness of time, He's going to come again when the time is ready and the time is right, and it seems to be very soon. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior? Where is your soul going to go? Jesus Christ could come today. If you don't know Him, there's no more chances for you. You need to respond to the Lord when He's dealing with your soul, which is now. So we see the phrase, the fullness of time. But notice the next part of verse 4. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. Paul's careful to point out the dual nature of Jesus Christ here, that He is both God and He is man. 
as God, he came forth. Notice that Paul did not say in the fullness of time, Christ was born. That's not what he said. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. Literally, it means to be sent out. And it has the idea that he was sent out from God with a particular mission. He was already a son before he ever came into this world. In fact, Jesus said in John 16 and verse 28, I came forth from the Father and am come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. It shows that he existed before he was uh, a man in this world. As a man, he was made of a woman. Jesus entered the world, as all men do, in a natural birth. The ancient promise said that the Redeemer would be of the seed of the woman, John, or Genesis 3 and verse 15. However, he had a supernatural conception. He didn't have a human father. Isaiah 7 and verse 14, which the Jews should have known. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Matthew 1 and verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Luke 1.35, the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. He didn't have a human sin nature passed on from human fathers. He, was, he came at the fullness of time, at a time appointed of the Father. He came, made of, he was sent forth from God, made of a woman, and then notice the phrase, made under the law. What does that mean? Well, Mary, his mother, was a Jewish woman. He was born into a Jewish nation. And so he was born under the Jewish law, and he submitted to the Jewish law. And Jesus Christ is the only one who ever kept the law perfectly. And in so doing, he proved that he was sinless and he was qualified to carry out his mission. What was the mission he was sent forth from God to do? It was a mission of salvation. And so Paul has told us who came. It was God's son. He told us when he came at the fullness of time, a time appointed of the father. He told us how he came born of a woman, under the law. But then you get to verse 5, and verse 5 tells us why he came. Verse 5 says, To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. His mission was to redeem them who were under the law. Now, the word redeem is a pretty intense word. It's a word that means to set free by paying a price, but it carries the meaning of once you're set free to never return to slavery again. 
It was a commercial term that was used of buying slaves. Slave markets were very common in Roman cities. In fact, a man could buy himself or purchase a slave in any Roman city. It is estimated that there were some 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire during that time. And a man could buy himself or purchase a slave at any time in any Roman city. And he could do it for one of two reasons. He could either purchase that slave to keep him for himself, or he could purchase the slave to set him free. Jesus came to set us free and never to go back. Christ came to buy us out of the slave market of sin and set us free never to return. That was the only way that we could ever obtain freedom. And so to go back into the law, once you've been purchased and you've been set free, to go back into the law, Paul says, is to undo the very work of Christ on the cross. What a shame. Jesus Christ did not purchase us to make us slaves, but to make us sons. Under the law, the Jews were slaves. But under grace, the believer is a son of God with an adult standing in God's family with the full rights and privileges of sonship. Are you awake tonight? What does that mean? It means you're an heir of God. You have all the privileges and all the rights and all the blessings uh, because you're in Christ, of being a very son of God. You know, and Paul's going to talk about this in a minute, which we're not really going to get to tonight because there's a whole lot there. And we're going to stop and take our time and go through that. But you have the Holy Spirit of God living in you because you're a son of God, which empowers you and gives you so much privilege as a son of God. You don't have to wait and grow into your inheritance in Christ. In that day, a young child, his father could be rich, but he didn't get to enjoy the full riches of his father, not until he grew up, not until he became of age. He was still just like a servant, but that's not the way it is in Jesus Christ. Amen? From the moment you know Christ, God sends forth His Spirit into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. And we're going to talk about that next time because there's a lot of rich truth packed in just those verses. Paul's going to show them what we are next. What we were, what God did, and what we are. What are we? We are sons of God. We are heirs together with Christ. He says, because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your heart. And then he says, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And he's going to go on to say, you need to live like it. If that's what you are, then you need to live like it. We're going to have to pick it up here next time. But the question is that I want to leave you. Are you moving forward in your Christian life? Or are you stuck in some sort of legalistic mindset or way of doing things? You know what? Baptist religion can be religion. 
Baptists can, can because we have a, a, a set of practices and a set of, of, of principles that we follow according to the Word of God, so much of the time it can just become ritualistic. It can become part of our culture. It becomes part of the way that we think. And if people don't measure up to here and people don't measure up to here and how I think it should be and this and that, it becomes nothing but legalism or judgmentalism and Phariseeism. A son serves out of love for his Savior. A servant has a master that controls him. And so we're going to talk about some of that stuff in the next couple of verses. And it's pretty good to understand, again, what we have in Jesus Christ. Are you moving forward in maturity? Or are you stuck going back backwards into childhood? Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, pray, Lord, that you'd help us, Lord, to understand what we have in Christ and to grow up in Christ. We can do things by ritual. We can do things by culture. We can do things because in our mind, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do, or I think this is what I should do, and somehow it merits favor with God. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to understand that we are sons of God. As a son, we serve because of love. We also have the Holy Spirit of God that empowers us and enables us, Lord, to resist temptation, to, to flee from sin, power over sin in our life. And we would never have that as a slave, as a servant. But because of Christ, we've been set free. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to rejoice in you and in Christ and to love you again for what you've given us in your Son. Lord, touch our heart and our mind again. Just impress on our hearts and our minds again the wonderful privileges we have in knowing Jesus Christ and that I don't deserve any of it. But because I'm adopted, because I'm in God's family as an adult son, Lord, I have all the rights and all the privileges that go along with it. And Lord, help me to live like it. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.